Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. Canada is being colonized either by Britain or by the U.S., um, and that ignores uh, or completely downplays the power that Canada has internationally and how uh, you know, Canadian corporations are major international banking, mining, uh, engineering, uh, others, major international players, and, and not, they're not at the periphery of, of global capitalism. They're really at the center of global capitalism and the whole left nationalist perspective of Canada being you know, colonized by the U.S., colonized by Britain really uh, obscures the, the immense power that, that Canadian uh, corporations have uh, in the world. That's the voice of author and activist Eves Engler. In this week's show, we speak to Eves regarding his latest book, Left, Right, Marching to the Beat of Imperial Canada. So stay tuned. I'm your host, Sylvia Richardson. This morning, we are very privileged to have our very own Eves Engler. He has been dubbed Canada's version of Noam Chomsky, and he is based in Vancouver with his latest book, Left, Right, Marching to the Beat of Imperial Canada. Thank you for joining us, Eves. Thanks for having me. When we think about Canada, most people think of a country that is committed to peacemaking, a country that is fairly progressive, very um, multicultural. Um, what inspired you to write this book, and what is the missing story that we're not telling? I mean, as I've, I've uh, detailed in uh, previous books, Canadian foreign policy is really uh, structured around uh, advancing empire, uh, historically British, today American, and advancing Canadian corporate interests abroad. So you can span the globe and you find uh, example after example that um, that shows how uh, Canada has been um, engaged in wars that uh, that are unjust, that the Canadian policy has been about uh, you know, Canadian dipl- diplomats supporting different Canadian corporations, uh, in spite of what those corporations are doing in, in, in different places in the world. And this book is really, um, it's looking at par- part of answering the why, why Canadians are so confused about Canada's role in the world, why Canadians think that this country is a force for good, when in fact the, the evidence overwhelmingly suggests that uh, Canadian foreign policy is, is about advancing empire, about advancing corporate interests. And specifically, this book looks at how the left um, institutions, dominant left institutions, have contributed to, um, to confusing uh, Canadians about this country's foreign policy, to going along with a dominant narrative about this idea of Canada as being a benevolent uh, international uh, actor. Um, and it looks at all kinds of, it looks at the NDP's foreign policy, looks at labor unions' foreign policy, looks at some uh, left uh, institutions and left commentators, uh, how much they concede to the dominant narrative of Canadian foreign policy. Um, so it's par- it's partly a sort of a, a critical examination of of the left foreign policy. You know, when we think about Canada, most people um, would prefer to not think of a country that is based on colonial. Um, practices and structures, you know, but when we think about colonialism, this idea that uh, the colony, right, this place that was taken by force, not with permission, the land has been occupied, 
and the original people are still here yet we carry on as if that is something of the past uh, some distant past that we briefly remember and then we move on to the new version of Canada it's really easy to see how uh, colonialism you know can be understood and yet um, empire when we think about imperial Canada how do you make the distinction because for most people you know this is the colony you know as my in-laws used to say you know how are things in the colonies they still think of Canada as simply a, a colony of the UK and most Canadians would even you know negate that we have a colonial history so I think it's important that we not only understand the role of colonialism in modern terms in the era of neoliberalism but also what we mean by empire by this imperial power that we call Canada exactly correct in that one part of uh, a better understanding Canadian foreign policy is to understand that to a large extent what Canada was talking at the time of uh, confederation um, it was the extension of British uh, power uh, in this in this part of the world it was about extending British power to Asia uh, and and that people who refer to Canada as a colony of Britain uh, are obscuring um, uh, the relationship of, of, of the power relationship. So, you know, Canadians or the, or the British or the, the French who settled uh, uh, Canada uh, weren't dispossessed of their land like, like the Kikuyu were dispossessed of their land in Kenya. Um, uh, they dispossessed First Nations, of course, right? So, so Canada was, you know, was part of the extending the British uh, colonial project, imperial project. Now, in terms of talking about Canadian imperialism today, I mean, there's, there's a, I think it's, it's important to talk about, uh, to, to refer to it as imperialism. I don't think it's just the extension of, you know, a hundred or multiple hundreds of years of, uh, of colonial, uh, British colonial uh, uh, project. Um, there are particulars to Canadian imperialism. So, for instance, the huge power of the, the Canadian-based mining sector throughout Africa, throughout Latin America, I think is somewhat of a, a, a distinctly Canadian imperialist uh, endeavor, right? Where half the world's mining companies are, are based in Canada and listed on Canadian stock exchanges. And they're, they're listed and based in Canada for a whole series of reasons, partly because Canadian stock exchanges are, are very uh, permissive in terms of what they accept in terms of disclosures, partly because the Canadian uh, government provides so much support uh, uh, through, through aid money, through dip diplomatic support, through uh, uh, even you know, militarily uh, to the mining sector uh, globally. Um, so so that, I, mean, I would consider that so somewhat of a, obviously not unique to Canada, uh, but, a, but a major Canadian contribution uh, to uh, world imperialism, the, the mining sector would be a, sort of a major Canadian contribution. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's important to look at, uh, you know, there's, there's many facets to... Uh, to imperialism, obviously, uh, Canada's you know military deployments uh, ongoing right now is a time when we're you know not really supposed to be at war. But you have Canadian military deployments in Ukraine, in Latvia, uh, um, around Korea, uh, in Iraq. Uh, you have Canadian military deployments, you have Canadian naval vessels, you know, patrolling in the in the Middle East constantly. Um, so this is again, this is a time of you know, not a time when Canada's not supposed to be at war. Yet we have this. 
uh, aggressive international military footprint, um, which I think is also a, an element of imperialism, obviously an element of Canadian imperialism that's, that's closely tied to, uh, to the U.S. version. Um, but yeah, there's, there are many different facets to, uh, to Canadian imperialism. When I think about um, the difference for me between colonial and empire making is the way in which a colony um, is, you know, destructive, displaces people. And yet there are, like most of us in Latin America, um, there's still mature cultures that continue to coexist. Whereas I think of empire as a way of not only destroying but also eliminating um, the the connections that people may have so in this case when we think about how we see the land how we see ourselves and our connection to the land this idea of capitalism as the only way of organizing our social relations this idea of neoliberalism you know displacing any kind of social structure that supports and and upholds people's ideas you know, ideas of healthcare, of well-being, of education—all um, of those things are being uh, drawn out by the idea of the the new empire, which most people now accept as the U.S. You know, one of the imperial powers, be it by the mighty of their military force or by the mighty of their economic warfare, whether it be sanctions or literally invasions, as you just described. Um, in your book, you talk about um, how, how the left, in many ways, is now complicit in this role. Um, can we talk a little bit about what our role ought to be if we are people who envision a society uh, that is committed to justice, to democratic processes, to not only... Uh, acknowledging but also correcting and um, some restitution for the harms that have been committed in the past in our name? I mean, I, I think it's about people being active, getting mobilized, uh, joining uh, different social movements that are that are uh, challenging some of these issues. So, so, for instance, right now you have Canada heavily involved in efforts to, uh, to destabilize and weaken the government in, in Venezuela. And uh, and there is uh, Venezuela solidarity groups that uh, operating uh, mostly fairly small uh, across the country, um, and uh, it's about you know getting involved in those initiatives and and uh, and challenging Canadian decision makers who are pursuing policies that you know contravene the UN Charter, contravene you know sanctions policies that are designed to to uh, undercut Venezuela's economy and designed to you know punish the government, try to overthrow the government. Um, and it's about people joining those <clears throat> those groups, like the different Venezuela solidarity groups that exist, that joining the you know different uh, anti-war organizations that are mobilizing. I mean, obviously, on with regards to uh, to domestic colon- domestic colonialism, joining you know different uh, indigenous-led uh, struggles, be it against uh, pipelines, against just for for indigenous uh, uh, sovereignty. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any real uh, answer except that uh, people should, uh, if people are are troubled by different uh, uh, political issues, that people should do what they can to to change those those issues and 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 to know that the the, the official political sphere um, uh, is one area to try to change stuff, but most of long-term transformation takes place by uh, people who are not focused on on their own power. 
focused on on doing what's right and, and mobilizing people to uh, to change the the power structures in society to uh, to bring about uh, uh, you know more just future, often with very limited or or no direct benefit um, to themselves in the in the you know shorter medium medium term, but because this is what's right and uh, and you know there's long histories of of people making uh, making society better by by doing that and and that's I think the the main uh, uh, advice that people uh, should take, uh, certainly with regards to Canadian foreign policy, that's the uh, the central way is uh, you know getting involved in different groups, challenging these issues, building the the uh, alternative media that's not just holding to power um, and whatnot. In, in some ways, I, I agree with you that the there's such an importance to be honest and and point out, you know, when we tend to maybe be overly complacent, right, to the structures um, that create not only domination, but that are continuing uh, to promote plundering of the earth in, in the moment when we know that um, if we continue this this course, we will self-destruct. It's not that the earth will continue to be, but we as human beings may not be able to stay here. So it, not only is um, creating justice and this ideal of a society with justice uh, a more um, beneficial path to take, but also it's a more... Um, you know, nourishing and um, empowering way of being. What are your um, practices on a day-to-day basis? Not not only to keep yourself inspired and motivated, but also to continuously, you know, question your beliefs. How am I positioning myself within the struggle? How am I participating and, you know, uplifting or being an obstacle to a process of, of emancipation, which is really what we ought to be on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I engage in uh, you know self-reflection on some of those questions, and I think that uh, it's important to uh, do so. Um, I, I think that there can be sometimes where that can be uh, it can be a little bit uh, too inward-looking, um, getting too over-focused uh, uh, in, in in that direction. I think that. Um, there's a you know there's a place for for almost everybody that you know that we that our issues in, of today are with regards to uh, uh, environmental uh, uh, issues and injustice, social injustice issues are so massive that we we really need uh, we need everyone involved in the in the process and and uh, yeah I don't I don't know that um, I, I think that it's obviously important to be involved and you know be self-reflective and to think about. Uh, those questions, um, but I think that there can be there's so much work to be done, um, and and there's so many different ways in which to engage in that work. It's important to have um, uh, activist cultures that uh, focus really on people, uh, uh, giving people a place to 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 engage and, and and letting people figure stuff out on their own a little bit. And there's obviously lots of trial and error. And people make lots of mistakes. It's important to be self-reflexive, but but it's it's. I think there's a, there's a lot of work at hand. Doing that work can be a little diverted from uh, overemphasis on uh, on uh, you know individuals sort of making sure that everything they've done is is perfect in the in the process because it it never will be, of course. 
when I when I think about your books, they often bring us to a place of self reflection, and I didn't mean as a, as an inward reflection, but rather as a as a co creative reflection. You know how we as human beings co create the society we live in, and as a settler, as a person who is in in a way complicit, right, and the continuation of Canada as as an empire if we are not organized right we we may find ourselves feeling alone and powerless um, all of those to me uh, are simply an invitation to realize that we are only stronger as as a community as you know as a circle of people who are seeing a new vision through right? a vision of justice of reparation a, a vision of connection not just to one another but also to the earth and um, when I read your books I, I am aware of all the places my presence is needed all the places um, you know my voice can contribute and you know we can be part of something greater um, you have several concerns in your book. Can you speak to some of the key issues that you are out outlining in your book? I look at uh, the history of uh, the NDP and the CCF um, uh, conceding on Canadian foreign policy. Look at oftentimes the, uh, the NDP has uh, supported uh, 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 Canadian militarism. So, for instance, in Libya in 2011, uh, the uh, NDP voted in the House of Commons twice to support the uh, NATO bombing of Libya, uh, even though that was clearly uh, uh, being done in violation of the UN Resolution 1973. Uh, you know, I look at uh, the the uh, just the general history of militarism within uh, within the NDP and, and historically the CCF. Uh, the uh, the NDP and, and CCF you know, supported. That creation of NATO uh, supported Korean War uh, 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 has a whole history of, uh, of ignoring Canadian uh, corporate uh, power in the hemisphere, Canadian banking dominance in, in, in the Caribbean, um, and, and uh, avoiding uh, challenging that or even really talking about that. So yeah, the book looks at also looks at labor unions and how and how labor unions have conceded on Canadian foreign policy and have for for decades. We're very much uh, uh, aggressive supporters of, of Canadian imperialism. That, that's that's somewhat uh, lessened today, um, uh, with regards to um, the labor movement. Now, unions are now uh, not usually uh, supportive of, of you know the wars that Canada is part of. Unlike the NDP, which tends to still be uh, a kind of active supporter, labor unions, even progressive labor unions, are usually just si both silent on these issues. Which of course allows the corporate world, which allows the, the Canadian state to uh, to pursue those, you know, pro uh, pro imperial policies. Um, the book also has a section on um, left institutions, think tanks, and commentators, and how uh, people like uh, Stephen Lewis, Linda McQuaig, and others, uh, Walter Dorn, and um, others have uh, have really conceded to the dominant narrative, dominant narrative of Canadian foreign policy. And oftentimes, even sort of uh, whitewash the history of, of Canadian uh, foreign policy crimes. Um, and then it has a section looking at nationalism or nationalisms uh, and sort of the why why uh, left institution and commentators have uh, have really uh, accepted much of uh, 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 dominant Canadian foreign policy. An important part is 
left nationalism and uh, and the whole idea that the really important part of Canadian nationalism of Canada as being this benevolent international actor and uh, and part of uh, the sort of left nationalist uh, why uh, there's confusion about Canadian foreign policy is because there's so much focus on Canada as being colonized either by Britain or by the U.S. Um, and that ignores uh, or completely downplays the, the power that Canada has internationally and how uh, you know, Canadian corporations are major international banking, mining, uh, engineering, uh, others are major international players and, and not they're not at the periphery of of global capitalism, they're really at the center of global capitalism, and the whole left nationalist perspective of Canada being, you know, colonized by the U.S., colonized by Britain, really uh, obscures the the immense power that that Canadian uh, corporations have uh, in the world. Understanding our positional power uh, as a nation, if we are to see each other as a collective nation. Um, what advice would you offer to people wanting to create change in our foreign policy? I think the main thing is people need to get engaged with the groups that are already active on these issues, right? There are uh, small peace groups, there are small uh, mining and justice solidarity groups, there are small Palestine solidarity organizations. Join those groups, create new ones. Um, uh, one thing I put forward in the book is the uh, Canadian Foreign Policy Institute, which is already uh, in its initial phase uh, online. People can check it out at foreignpolicy.ca. Um, and it's basically initially just a repository of critical information on Canadian foreign policy, but with time, uh, hopefully built into a, um, a, a, a more uh, substantive left-wing foreign policy think tank that uh, that really uh, brings together all the different uh, critical voices on Canadian foreign policy, um, and also produces you know some uh, produces materials uh, about Canadian foreign policy, and then maybe eventually even uh, you know setting up chapters uh, across the country, but mostly at initial phase, really a, a place to, to bring together uh, uh, criticisms or challenges of Canadian foreign policy, all the different facets, right? Because there's groups working on, you know, Palestine, there's groups working on mining, there's groups working against, against war, but oftentimes it's not part of a whole sort of more uh, general uh, critique of Canadian foreign policy. And I think there's some value in, in bringing that together. Um, and, uh, yeah, so people can check that out, get on the foreignpolicy.ca, you can, can sign up for the, the newsletter. Um, and, but mainly it's about getting engaged with the, the local groups that are, that are fighting uh, on, uh, on these different issues. Yves Singler um, will be presenting his books in Vancouver. You're visiting Vancouver with your latest book, Left, Right, Marching to the Beat of Imperial Canada. Tell our audience how they can connect with you while you're visiting. Yes, yeah, so I'm doing uh, a few events in the uh, in the Vancouver and, and uh, a couple at UBC and um, one at SFU. The main one being at SFU on October 30th. Um, people can get the detail at 6 p.m. at SFU at the Harbor uh, Center downtown, uh, and uh, people can find the details on my site uh, evengler.com, uh, Y-V-E-S-E-N-G-L-A-R, um, and have the the list of the uh, the different events I'm doing in the in the Vancouver area. Thank you so much for being with us. What keeps you inspired that not only are we able to transform society, but also create a society with more justice for all? Um, I mean, I think that the, this, the, this scope of injustice out there um, it makes, it makes me feel that uh, there's a need to, to, to stay engaged. And, uh, and, you know, people resisting 
these different injustices in, in infinitely uh, more difficult uh, um, situations than I'm in. So, you know, some days if you're, you get tired and you're, you're not sure if, uh, if, it's, uh, if it's worth it, um, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, infinitely less of, a, of an obstacle than, uh, than somebody who's you know, languishing in jail or, or who's, uh, uh, who's having difficulty finding, uh, you know, uh, food to put on the table or, or whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, there's a long part of why our, the positives we have in our society today, part of why the freedoms that exist today is because of, you know, people before us who have spent the time and done the work um, to uh, to advance those freedoms, and, and I, it, you know, I, I take a lot of uh, uh, inspiration from uh, those struggles and uh, others who are struggling in uh, in, much, in in more difficult uh, uh, circumstances than I. Thank you so much for being with us today, and good luck on your travels. Thank you, Sylvia. That was Eve's Engler, and uh, his latest book is. Left, right, marching to the beat of Imperial Canada. I'm going to finish this show with a song by Buffy St. Marie called Pinewood Hills. Talk to you next time. I'm a rambler and a rover And a wanderer it seems I've traveled all over Chasing after my dreams but a dream should come true And a heart should be filled And a life should be lived In the piney wood hills I'll return to the woodlands I'll return to the snow I'll return to the hills and the valley below. I'll return like a poor man or a king if God wills. But I'm on my way home to the piney wood hills. I was raised on a song there I done right 
We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com. Visit Latin Waves Media to hear previous shows, to access resources, or support our efforts towards social change via community project engagement. Thank you and bye for now.